Once again, it is The Real Dirt, and I'm Chip. Thanks for joining me today on The Real Dirt. On today's Dirt, we're going to talk about one of the topics really uh, close to my heart and palate, and that's organic ganja. That's right. Many people talk about it. Many people think that uh, or ganja should only be grown organically, and, and many people have this perception that it's always organic, and there's even other perceptions that the materials people put into uh, their cannabis is organic. Well, uh, that, that word's a, it's a hot button word. It means a lot to some people. It just means grown in the ground. To other people, they're very strict about all of their organic inputs. And it, it can't have uh, animal products in it at all. You know, other people just take the straight California organic inputs or the uh, Omri organic inputs and use that list. But, you know, it, it's more than just a list of, of inputs Growing organically is really almost like a religion to some people. They really take it at heart. They stand on a soapbox. They preach organics. But they might not know everything about those organic inputs. And I really think it's important to know where your raw materials come from, to realize if it is a stripped mind mineral or stripped mind guano. Uh, and, and, you know, to realize the impact, the footprint that we have, you know, on obtaining these materials just because it's on an organic list someplace does not necessarily mean it's the best thing for the earth or the best thing for us or the best thing for the world. So, you know, I'd really uh, urge each and every one of you to uh, read the list of ingredients that's on the so-called organic products. Really look at the labels. Don't just get fooled by something where organic or organics or organics is in the title to fool you into believing that it's actually an organic product. Read the list. If you can pronounce everything on the list, it's probably pretty good. You know, Google it, man. Look it up. See what's really in there and, and ask some questions. Today, I have Colin that's joining me from um, Mammoth Nutrients, Mammoth Microbes. And we talk all about organics, living soil, and what that really means to him and me and, you know, the world around us. We uh, sell a tremendous amount of the Mammoth Pea at our store, Cultivate Colorado, and at our store, Cultivate Oklahoma. If you haven't stopped by either one of those locations, please stop by. If you're in Oklahoma, stop by. We're on 10th and Meridian. Say hi to Chris there. You know, I'm often there in the afternoons. Uh, uh, say hi to me as well. Introduce yourself. And if you can uh, stop by in Colorado, stop by in Denver or Stapleton and give uh, Jacob or Daryl or, or Jimmy a ring and tell them how much you like the store. Or if there's any product that we don't might not carry, ask them to carry it for you. We love talking to customers. We love talking to people about growing. And it's really a, a you know, a, a big part of our quote unquote business is to actually talk to, to growers and people. So stop by the shop, Oklahoma City or in Denver, and we, we'd be glad to chat with you about organics, living soil, hydroponics, aeroponics, you know, whatever you got, whatever you're doing. We really tend to like it all. So sit back, roll up the largest joints you can out of your friend's sack, fire it up and listen to yet 
another episode of The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Hello again, this is Chip from The Real Dirt, and on today's Dirt, I've got Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth P. How's it going, Colin? Man, it is going great. Great to be here, and thanks for having me on today. Oh, man, I've been really looking forward to this show. Uh, Colin, he's the the co-founder of Mammoth P, and Mammoth P is a product we sell in our store at Cultivate Colorado. It's Man, this is going to kind of sound like an infomercial, but it's not really. Colin's not paying me at all to promote this product right now. This is one of the best products in our shop. We sell this to gardeners and people um, as a, a supplement, additional microbes for their soil. Colin developed this through research at the University of Col- I'm sorry, Colorado State University. So it's not just your average startup. Colin, tell me how this kind of came about, how you figured out what, what Mammoth P was or the direction you were going to go at to make this product. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, you know, uh, we were researchers, soil microbiologists at Colorado State University, and we had spent years, you know, understanding and studying plant microbe interactions and ecosystems and nutrient cycling in both natural and, and agriculture settings. And so we understood microbes and how they interact with the plants to maximize their success very, very well. At some point in our career, we were trying to kind of reflect on the impact we were making it. We weren't really making a huge impact the way we thought we could. And so we start thinking about ways that we could apply our knowledge, apply our science to start really making something that would bring value to farmers and to cultivators. And that was the inspiration that led to ultimately to Mammoth Pea. We selected the microbes for Mammoth Pea because we identified phosphorus as being a really interesting element that not only was super important for plant growth and success and yield and all these interesting things, but it's also kind of sticky and hard to deliver. And we knew that if we developed a really robust microbial consortia or group of microbes that could do that, it would probably bring a lot of value to farmers across the world. And with that in mind, we started working on the on this product or this challenge and came up with this ultimately with the product that we have now in the market, Mammoth P. So, you know, the interesting thing about phosphorus and is it's a mobile nutrient. It doesn't go anywhere once you put it into the soil. And uh, as soon as you start to talk about it like this, I, I'm, I immediately think commercial agriculture and it's like, oh, you're just releasing the nutrition that's already in the soil back to the plants to some degree. It's really brilliant when you think about it. I mean, you know, the the MPK is already there in the soil and it's just how do we use nature or m- microbes to to produce it or to release it, so to speak. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We can think of these you know, microbes as actually like miners and there are those nutrients available in the soil in all agricultural settings. And in many cases, they're immobile or not bioavailable, bound up in the mineral soil and microbes we know this they mineralize and release these nutrients naturally and so we thought we could actually create products that would do that better than you know just the natural endemic microbes and soils and that's where we came up with the idea to start making these biostimulants or or microbial products to help do that you developed this in colorado when you first came out with this product we were talking about this earlier when you first came out of this product in 2016 it showed up in my shop and i had no i 
no real idea who you guys were, but we, we get a lot of homespun products, a lot of brand new products. And, you know, we looked at it and it's got this tea colored look to it. There was some stuff floating in it. And we we're like, man, I don't know, maybe it works. I don't know, maybe somebody buys it. But man, immediately people started buying it. Right. And I even thought that you guys were you know, artificially having people to call me or buy the product because it was just so dramatic that uh, people were just <laughs> buying this stuff uh, and it was just fl literally flying off my shelves. And I know your salespeople, they came to us and were like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but we weren't really doing anything. I mean, my guy, Jimmy up there, he loves organic. He loves biology. Uh, Jimmy Catchings, if you're ever up there in the Stapleton store, ask to speak to Jimmy. He pushed it for sure. But man, it's all, it's about the quality of the product. If it sells like that, then it's gotta work. You know, I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, that's kind of what I thought. I was a scientist. I'm not typically a business guy. I'm a pretty smart guy and I've learned a lot since I started this company. But what I wanted to do, and this wasn't about a business, that's the deal. This was about making something super cool that farmers would use and growers and cultivators would use. It was only after we validated the technology through a lot of trialing and a lot of R&D money that we realized, hey, man, this works good. Now we need to figure out how to get in the hands of growers and farmers. And so making something that worked really, really, really good first was the goal. And it wasn't about, hey, we need to turn some profit. It wasn't about we need to have a business here that we need to sustain. It was a research project. And that that allowed us to do the diligence that we needed to create the right technology. And then, like you said, we knew that if it worked really well, we would create customers out of it. And so we got product in the hands of growers as much as we could. And we just wanted the feedback and the data from them and to validate that they were seeing good results. And, and that's really how uh, Mammoth started. Mammoth P started was grassroots, getting product in the hands of growers and letting them see the results from themselves. And that's, that's how we, that's how we started. Man, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me. I, I always, I've said this over and over again, like when you're in business or when you have a product and I brought over 20 products to market, you know, many of them haven't survived, uh, uh, a handful of them still are, are still being sold or manufactured by my company or others. But when you go into it with the attitude of, I'm going to make this awesome product, I'm going to like really contribute to the world in some way, man, they, they turn out way better than when you say, oh man, the ROI on this product is incredible. I'm going to be able to turn so many units over such picks of time. And it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. My investors are going to be so happy with me and we're going to all make so much money. And I'm going to be driving formula one cars on recreation for the weekend. You know, it just doesn't work out the same. <laughs> Sure. Right. <laughs> right. When you're, when your thought about it is the money of it, listeners and growers, here's, this is a great lesson in life right now. Listen, listen to this. When you go out and look in your crop, think about how good it is or how good you want it to be or how good it's going to be. Get the mindset of how much money it's going to make you out of there. It'll do better for you. It'll grow better for you. You have better quality and you'll make more money. But money just shouldn't be the first first real thought. Yeah, isn't that isn't that such a great lesson? I'm glad that this is coming out of this conversation. It should be about the impact and quality and purpose. And I think, you know, if you have those lined up as an individual or as a company, everything else comes. But you have to get that right. And thinking about money first is, in my experience, a distraction and maybe even a conflict of interest.
Well, you know, interestingly, you have a startup. This is an independent business, but you started in the university. You were funded by the federal government to develop this product, and then you took it to the private sector. Yeah, that's right. That's how I made a living is I, I got grants from the federal government and sometimes from the state, and it allowed me to conduct research as a soft money research scientist. That's what you call it. And so we ground and ground and ground just trying to get grants so we could, you know, feed ourselves and do what we love to do, research. Ultimately, this idea was very attractive to the government funding agencies. I wrote a grant and we were awarded it. And that's what allowed us to, that fund allowed us to switch our lab from a basic or fundamental science lab into an applied science lab at Colorado State University to start working on, you know, applied science, which led to the development of this technology, Mammoth P. You guys put like a million dollars into research, or you, you said that figure earlier. For you sure. Know, that's, a, yeah. that's a significant amount of upfront capital that many, many startups and people with great ideas just don't, don't have. You know, I brought many products to the market, and we have to experiment in real time in the marketplace. You know, you have to bring a product to the market, see if the package works, see if the packaging works, see if the palette works, you know, see if the product works, see if the directions work. But you were really able to fund all this ahead of time through our tax dollars. I think this is a great way, a great thing for tax dollars, <laughs> man. All right. This type of stuff is incredible. Said. Right. No, no, yeah. it's, no, it's true because, you know, it's, it really is creating an economy. And I'm sure the economy that you guys have created with your product and with the, the, the people's gardens have far exceeded the million dollars that the federal government put into it. Oh, yeah, I think that's right for sure. It is actually an interesting point at, at the university. Our job was research and learning and making cool stuff. And so that's all there was to it. The, the business aspect, which you are way ahead of me on the learning curve on, you know, was all new for me. And so starting a company and getting people and getting a team and scaling up production and all that stuff was a fun new learning experience. And, and I know you're an innovator and you're a problem solver and I pretty much am too. And so those were very exhilarating and fun projects. But as soon as you get it onto the business side, everything's expensive. Time's expensive. People are expensive. Uh, materials, everything adds up. And you don't think about any of that stuff at the university when you're just mm -hmm. making and you're innovating, it's just part of the part of the deal. And oh, yeah, so it's man. a very different mindset for sure. When uh, I started uh, my most recent soil plant um, right outside Denver, uh, Growers Potting Soil, we, we ran about, um, oh man, uh, probably about 150 pallets of material before the machine was calibrated correctly. Each one of those pallets, man, it represents like $700 in retail sales. It was a significant amount of money to put into it just to, for product that we'd never be able to sell. That was probably a little painful for you, wasn't it? You know, I've, I've gone through it before, so I, I expected it. But the guys working with me, Daryl and Mo and Brent, uh, those are my top guys out there. If you ever see guys, those guys out on the street, uh, listeners uh, mention to them how much you uh, appreciate them making quality potting soil because they do it all. They were They were a little disheartened by it. My CFO, she was disheartened by all of the packaging and, you know, all of the raw materials that we basically dumped into a, a hemp field next to us. 
you know, you just kind of have to do that to make sure that your packaging is on right, make sure all the pallets are stacked right, to make sure all the bags are filled right. And you can't, it's, it's hard to just do it at small volume. You know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta make some product. Yeah. And those details all are super important, as you well know. I remember when I first had a, a vat or a fermenter of mammoth and I'm like, well, now I need to find bottles and I need to find closures. Mm-hmm. And I need to find labels and, and fillers and all these details. And some of that and stuff worked. It's not and necessarily easy, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah There's yeah. a trial and error for all that stuff. Uh, when I left, when I sold Royal Gold, I, I was cleaning up and I looked in a closet that was upstairs in the old office. and there were $30,000 worth of bad labels. Wow. <laughs> you know, just labels that, that didn't work, that were bad products, that something was spelled right, that the state called me out on, that the state laws changed over it, that weren't UV resistant, that weren't water resistant, you know, that didn't have a, a slip coating on whatever it is. It was just, you know, over time, you just, accumulate it you know <laughs> yeah it's incredible cost of doing business but man that's a lot of dough oh it is and you know as a startup business it, it it was a lot it was you know if it all came at once it wouldn't have worked out for me but it was like a little here and a little there you know go be in business for 10 years and it happens same thing with you i'm sure it took you a moment to figure out how to the, the right cap to put on it or you know the right sealer inside the cap or the right machine to to put the cap on for sure. It, it's funny that when you're there, you're like, nothing else matters until I get this closure or this cap figured out because I need a cap. And then as soon as you find it, however long it takes, there's this next list of 10 priorities that you have to do as you're scaling up that stuff. I know you've done this before. <laughs> it's just such a fun thing. But you're like, OK, closures. I, be, I became obsessed about closures. And I became obsessed about bottles. And I became obsessed about fillers and all these details. And you just grow and grow, and then it kind of repeats over time as the business gets bigger and you start over and you scale to that next level. It's it, it's really fun. I kind of love manufacturing for that aspect of problem solving, but there's, there's nothing but opportunity to learn and grow, I'll tell you that much. Yo, yo, you're a dynamic person to be a, a researcher, a developer of the product, and as as well as you, you want to you wanna build it and, and see it work right, too. You know, it's usually yeah, two different mindsets. Sure. So, hey, you know, I think this is a perfect time for us to take a break. Let's take a little break. Let's sit back. Uh, you're in the airport, so you won't be able to, to, to puff any, but I'll roll three or four joints, and then, I, and then we'll be back. How's that? Perfect. I've been there. I've been stuck inside my growing with a problem that I could not solve. I've Googled it. I've Reddit it. I've searched the internet up and down to the farthest galaxies of the World Wide Web with nary answer. But you have something I didn't have. You have Cultivate Colorado and Cultivate OKC. Our friendly staff, both in Denver and in Oklahoma City, can answer almost any cultivation question for you, whether it's how high do I hang my lights above my plants, to what type of bulb do I need, to what my plant deficiency is, or how to use a certain pesticide. You know, we've got the answers because literally we have the experience. We've been helping growers throughout the country, but specifically in Denver for the past 10 years, solve their problems. And if you've got problems to solve, 
or maybe you've got answers to problems, or maybe you just need that latest, newest, hottest light or nutrient. Drop by one of our several locations in Denver or in Oklahoma City. Check us out online at Cultivate Colorado or CultivateOKC.com. That's right. Come grow with us, man. We're here to help you. And we're back. Oh, man. I tell you, that was, wow, incredibly long sponsor break. You know, uh, back in the 70s, I wonder what they did when they uh, let the record play too long as they were out back smoking weed. That's <laughs> now we can just pause. And, uh, and now we can just pause and, and come back whenever we want. But, um, you know, we, we've been talking about mammoth pee and we've been talking about microbes, but really why I wanted you on the show was, was to talk about living soil organics and, you know, the, the future in, in commercial technology, you know, we see organic in so many places these days. Sometimes it's uh, just marketing and labeling. Sometimes it's for real. Um, m- many people scoff at the term and think that you're just paying more money for, you know, an avocado that's organic as opposed to one that's not and you know farmers often you know smirk at it because uh they live in areas with huge you know pest issues and it's like the only way they can grow you know vegetables is with pesticides um and so they scoff at it a little bit but uh um man let, let me ask you this question like like what's organic mean mean to you like if i just said if we were just walking in the Whole Foods aisle and you saw organic tomato, what what would go through your mind? Man, for me, you know, without looking at the definition of organic or kind of having this tainted opinion of, you know, the loopholes of organic certification and whatnot, organic to me means naturally derived. And I feel that there are only uh, processes or products used for that particular product that again, are naturally derived. I just think about what I think about more than anything else when I think about organic is, wow, I'm not going to be eating pesticides today. That's honestly, as a, as a yeah, consumer, me too. what goes through my mind. Me too. Me too. 100%. Now, hey, when you see your, something called organic, you know, cannabis or, or hemp or, or weed, what goes through your mind? Yeah. You know, I think just using natural processes, I go, my next definition defaults. So, you know, we have mammoth pea that's organically registered. It's an organic OMRI certified product. What that means to get something OMRI or organic certified is the products that go into the products that go into your product all have to be organic and organically certified. So there's a legacy or a history, a generation of organic products that are turned into organic products that are, again, organic products that you're using for your formula that you're making a product with. And so that just means that it's natural. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, controversy, I guess, with some people around well, the so term. There's so many definitions of, of it, man. That's right. That's you know, right. It's, it's a, it's, it really is a difficult one. In our store, Cultivate OKC, we have a huge demand for organic and living soil product. That's primarily the reason I'm doing this episode is because so many people have been talking to me about it. 
uh, I'm not not judging or but I am stereotyping some people I guess you get the super vegans that come in and it's got to be strictly organic you know they're usually well informed they read the labels you know and they want it to be ex- strictly organic per the most strict organic regulations in the world when did right? that start when do you think that really started where it got to that level man i think part of it was the marketing the marketing side of it when people started uh-huh. calling stuff organic with an x organics and people started to really you know think about it because there's the other portion of the customers that come in is they see just the term organic or uh-huh. some version of that term organics, organics, you know, organish, organ what you know, and they think it's organic and that's yeah. good enough for them. Yep, yep. Right. I think that's right. You know, when we launched Mammoth and I was I was the guy after you know, I trained a small team how to scale Mammoth in the fermenters, I went out and started selling just like the the first outside sales guy for a company, like a co-founder would be. And it didn't seem like Denver at the time, this is early 2015, was into it as much as they are now. And so it's it's changed a lot from 2015 to today is, is what I'm getting at. You know, I experienced the same thing. When we came to Colorado to open up our stores in 2009, you know, I've lived most of my life up in Northern California, Humboldt County. Um, and man, organic people know what it is. People talk it up. People call you out for not having organic produce or organic, you know, cannabis cause they can see it cause there's such an experience with it. And, you know, they'll make fun of you for using blue juice and which is a synthetic, you know, a, 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 a nickname for synthetic fertilizer, blue, yeah. blue juice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we came to Colorado and I bought the same type of stuff we would buy at a store. I mean, we would, we would sell at a store in California and none of that shit sold. Right. Right. Back guano, humic, fulvic, you know, nothing sold. Right. Fish bone meal. Like I, I, I thought I was going to sell 50 pound bags of, you know, fish bone meal and feather meal and nobody's buying it. And nobody bought any of that stuff until after the pesticide regulations came into play. Oh, that's interesting. As soon as that happened, people started using the term, oh, I grow organic. And you talk to them about it. And it's like, well, really, they just spray organic. They only use organic spray. But man, right. honestly, I think it just like it, it crept into their into their psyche through their vocabulary. And man, I sell organic products now in Denver. Isn't that crazy? You know, this is, you're going to love this. I used to say when I, when I started working in the shops and like going shop to shop and no one really cared about organic, quite frankly, and they cared about making sure they maximize yield and quality was kind of there at the time. And, and Mammoth does that. Mammoth P does that. And so we did get some adoption and they were seeing results there. But on the side, I would joke, I was like, man, this is the gateway product that's going to start people, uh, the synthetic growers onto the organic track because, you know, it was an organic product, but it was the microbes. And it was, it was a microbial product that was compatible with the synthetic growers also. And, and so it did take off in Colorado well. And it's funny, though, when I started opening up Washington and Oregon in particular, which was, you know, right around late 2015, early 2016, you walk into a shop and the first question they ask you, is it organic? And 
if it wasn't, they just ask you to leave. And so <laughs> we're in Colorado, they didn't care. Yeah, West Coast all the way. It's such a different vibe. And, and so it was a fun learning experience for me. Now, Boulder, though, is a, a hotbed of organic living soil growers up there, though. That's where they, quote unquote, all are. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot. And it, it's even picking up. You know, I was in, call, in in Canada not that long ago, and there's a facility that's building out a million square feet right now and they're trying to do the whole facility literally with living soil can you believe that oh wow man no that's awesome man that's great it's totally cool so living soil what does living soil mean to me you want to hear my definition yeah yeah perfect perfect gateway let's go so living soil is the same thing to me as the soil food web and that's kind of how we study it at, in academia or in school in microbiology and it's quite simply i think of living soil or soil in general is, is the same thing soil is living soil period uh, everywhere in nature and it's the foundation of all life on earth it's a biology interactions that cycle nutrients and cycle every bit of energy that flows from below ground to above ground into the atmosphere and back into the soil. So it's a really interesting concept of the foundation of life and it's the movement of energy uh, that facilitates all other life on earth. And it's just not the below ground components that contribute to living soil because there's above ground life and plants in particular that interject into this. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and you know, this, you're a soil guy. What, what I, uh, my professor, my major professor a long time ago, he used to always say this, he'd be like, don't, don't ever forget Colin. And he would like shake his finger and get all kind of uh, nostalgic. He's like, carbon is the currency of life on earth for everything and below ground too. Mm-hmm. And you think about plants, how, if a plant grows into the soil, it actually interjects carbon into that mineral substrate where there's sand, silt, clay, there's potting material and all these things. And the only biotic or biological interaction at that particular scenario is plants. But plants, they suck carbon from the air and incorporate it into their biomass. And they scored a lot of that carbon through their bodies or through their plant material, the shoots into the roots and supported out into the soil, adding carbon, not only through root growth, but through labile or, or liquid sugars into the soil. And the plants take up everything else that it needs to grow, every element from soil. And we were kind of talking about this earlier. The elements in soil are very hard for plants to take up. And it's the life in the soil that helps liberate those nutrients to make them available or bioavailable for plants to take up. And so there's that exchange of micro life in the root zone that cycles those ions that plants can take up and grow. And the general cycling from above ground plant material to below ground microbial cycling is what I think about in this ecosystem process that is basically founded on living soil and there's so many levels of biology in living soil that all starts with 
the microbes, the bacteria and fungi, which are the microscopic organisms that do all the fine level nutrient cycling, creating enzyme cycling uh, nutrients from unavailable forms into bioavailable forms so they can take up nutrients and so plants can take up nutrients. But then there's that next level of protists and nematodes, which are small, almost microscopic worms and mites and the larger arthropods, the spiders and the centipedes and earthworms and all these things that have layers of trophic layers, Chip. And so that means food web where below ground, in many cases, bacteria and fungi are food sources for these nematodes or these mites that come and chomp down and then they recycle the microbes into food material that they deposit into the soil, creating nutrient-rich sources or organic food sources, kind of like composting that plants then can take up. But you still need the microbes to cycle those nutrients and transform those elements from longer change into smaller bioavailable chains. Wow, man, that was almost psychedelic in the way you explained that. I was, <laughs> I was, I was sitting there floating through time and space there for, for a moment. It's, it's, it's actually an interesting scale uh, conversation. Yeah. Was that too much? No, no, no. It was perfect. It was perfect. Come back to us, Chip. Yeah, yeah. Come on oh, back. Let me take a couple of breaths. Hold on. <sighs> You know, uh, living soil is thrown out there so much. So many people mention it or say it or, or they don't understand what it means. Um, and, you know, wow, you just explained it, you know, as simple as can be. Anybody listens to this episode will repeat the words you say and they will sound like a boss. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, the the the, the thing with the, the thing that I... When I identify with living soil, you're feeding the soil you're with biological life. You know, all the answers are already there. Uh, you just have to add, you know, biological life to break it down and, and yep. feed it back to the plants. Millions yep. of years of evolution have already developed this process. Yeah. And, you know, I sell seabird guano, bat guano, feather meal, chickens, you know, I sell all this stuff. And, you know, I see the environmental impact of it. You know, I, I, I try to talk people out of buying bat guano, even though bat guano is a great product, man. Oh, man, it plants just love it. it but it, you got to strip mine to get it. You know, you got to like, you know, take a ugly excavator or dozer and dig a huge hole in the ground and destroy bat habitat. And the same thing with seabird guano and the same bird, same way with humic acid or gypsum or... TMI and, you know, all those great, great mined minerals that the organic community loves so much. They're mostly strip mined and the, the beauty of living soil and, and biology and microbes is, well, you get to use far less of those strip mined products. If you add the right biology, if you, if you really nurture your soil so your plants can, you know, absorb the nutrients, right? Absolutely. Absolutely agree. It's such a, you know, when we say organic, it, it, it means so much. It does mean bat guano, you know, it, it also means soy protein isolate, right? And, you know, both of those things are really two weird products when you talk about the world, right? And, oh, how did we get the soy protein isolate? Oh, we took some organic soybeans maybe and you know, we ran them through a chemical process and you know isolated them by their molecular weight 
but that's organic, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little, it's a little suspect. It, it is. If you and, actually break it down. And it works great, man. Dude, soy protein isolates, incredible amino acids, incredible nitrogen source. Don't get me wrong. Great vegan product. And back to back guano, great, great product. But like there is a cost and an impact of, of developing that stuff, right? Without giving any trade secrets, like when you make mammoth microbes, what's your in, in environmental impact? What do you make this stuff? You're, you're not mining anything. Yeah, that's a really good point. So and this is near and dear to my heart. And sustainability is another loaded word that not everyone loves because there's a lot of definitions. What I think is in sustainable practices is figuring out how you can meet your needs today while not hindering the ability of your next generation to meet their needs. So you try to give more than you take away. And that's one thing that I love about microbes is they grow. You know, we can scale them so effectively and you can use natural sources to grow. There's an example, there's a couple of companies out there that actually take food waste you know from localities and you can actually ferment and the waste food and and create and create agriculture products about that and so i think that's one very interesting example of waste and we're turning it into something that we're using to, to grow food for microbes you know we give way more than we take away we, we use real natural forage that continues to grow and we just uh, extract nutrients to create an interesting food source for the microbes and we grow them up and so it takes a lot of equipment and so if you think about the energy that it takes to run our facility and the equipment and the fermenters you have to take a look at all those things to really see what kind of footprint you're leaving but as far as taking away from the environment what we do is i would say very sustainable and this is interesting that's why also if you think about the use of microbes in agriculture, it's even more interesting because there's a lot of nutrients that are added to soils that never get used. They build up year after year after year after year until a really harsh environment in the soil where microbes actually can mine that. So you can add a microbial biostimulant and reduce fertilizer inputs and allow the microbes to actually mine and deliver those residual soil nutrients to your plant, reducing chemical fertilizer input. So that's a huge impact in itself. The impact we make here is, is important to say. And, and, you know, I talk, I, I'm 25 year vegetarian. I, I try to only eat organic food in my life. I try to only, you know, consume organic cannabis. It's not possible for me to do it 100%. And I've been on the soapbox in the past, right? And you have to do organic. You have, it's got to be chicken shit and kelp and that's it and sustainable ingredients. But like I have grown and I've seen so many other people like be successful and contribute back back to the world it is partly your intention and you know when we talk about organic or living soil many people just want to grow better weed and they think that's how that happens too for sure <laughs> so hey let's talk about like the quality of of product that 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 comes out of of organic or, or living soil this is true, isn't it? So I'll start this with a story. And I've done business with folks, growers all over the world. And in South America, this is the story I'm going to tell quickly. In Uruguay, 
uh, some wonderful guys. Juan, they have a team and a shop Eurogrow way down there, and they love organics. And South American General loves organic growing. It's just in their in their culture. And they were doing uh, a test. They're like, okay, Colin, here's what we're gonna do. We have the same cultivar, the same room, half the room synthetic, half the room is completely organic. And we want to see uh, how much different uh, these practices would uh, yield as far as the quality and the structure of the of the final product. And at the end of that grow, they look like completely different strains, quite honestly. The quality and the terpene and the potency, everything on the organic side was far superior to the synthetic side. And it was a hydroponic, to be fair enough. It was a hydroponically grown uh, synthetic grow. So there's a lot of different practices. And I think that there's a, a way to balance and sure. maximize nutrient delivery along with adding the organics and the microbes that you need to to enhance the delivery of nutrients to maximize your plant's ability to express its phenotypic potential, what I like to call it, which means maximize not only yield, but the quality for which that plant plant was was bred. Mm-hmm. And we can get there through through a balancing act, but I see a lot more quality in terms of the overall flavor, smell, aroma in organic or organically uh, intended uh, growing practices. Do you think that's true from your experience? Man, I think the best wheat I've ever had and the best or tomatoes and the best watermelons have all been organic. 100%. I, I also know I have an organic watermelon at my house, half eaten right now because it doesn't taste worth anything. <laughs> and and I see I see with cannabis, I see people that care more about it being organic than they than they do about making it a quality product. And that takes that takes a little bit more than just putting in organic inputs. I think that it chefs if you're a chef in the garden, man, you are going to have awesome organic or, or living soil product. If you're not a chef, if you don't quite know what you're doing, or if you do know what you're doing, but you can't quite do it, man, a little synthetic, a little synthetic nutrients even go so far, right, to, to make the product look better for those people. You know, I see this all the time. People come in... And, you know, one of the problems with living soil, here's one of the big problems with living soil, is to get it to grow well, you really need to, like, develop a a heavy root system, right? You need to spend time in veg, right? You need to really grow a good, healthy root system. Then the plants will thrive. They'll eat all the nutrients. There's enough nutrition in, in the containers. But then the containers are so big, and most people over dump organic product in it don't use microbes or biology or compost tea to help break stuff down that they they can't flush out the product so to speak and their their end product will ash hard it will have a black ash and and i mean i've I've been seeing this for years this isn't a one-off this is and i've been guilty of it too you know it's like you want it to grow well so you overcompensate by putting you know five pounds of fishbone meal per yard you only need two right 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 Right? Uh, and you know you you got to dump a bunch of nitrogen in it too to keep it green that whole time. So, you know, you're putting in 
feather meal and chicken shit and bat guano and and man they grow great that way and it'll look great that way and i see that but i also see this is that you know the the smell and flavor and the taste of of organic or really good living soil it might not look have that look that people want in in the dispensary right but it man the taste and the like terpene profiles just incredible Man, I also see outside and in greenhouses, organic techniques being far more effective. And the sun and, you know, the natural environment, just to the natural environment, it's where all these products are supposed to be anyway. Inside, it's it's a little harder to to do it. But, man, if you're a chef, if you're an iron chef, you're cooking that shit. It looks great. You know, you got the best seared monkfish liver around, but nobody else can make it taste worth a damn. <laughs> Really, when I think it's true, you have to understand the dynamics. And I think in organic systems, you have to figure out how to utilize your biology yeah. to maximize the nutrient availability. Because if you don't have the biology, it'll bind into those organic or car- carbon. You know, organic is by definition carbon. Uh, it is a carbon base. And carbon loves to hold on to ions. So we'll just stay bound. And you have to break down those carbon chains that have the nutrients attached to them in order for the plants to take them up. And so you can really deprive nutrients if you don't deprive your plants of nutrients, if you don't have that right balance of biology to help, again, cycle nutrients, just like it happens in nature. Another thing I'd like to say about organic and living soil is it really can be one of the most cost-effective ways for growing. Not only is it less expensive to put the inputs in your soil, but you can reuse your soil. It's not just a one-time purchase. The nutrient delivery system is so much easier if you're just giving water, right? As soon as like you're giving synthetics or, you know, even bottled organic nutrients, then you have to deal with pump and pump heat and your propeller spinning and the pump clogging and your drippers clogging, your filter clogging and if it's just water and all your inputs are already in the soil and then you just, you know, are giving it a five liters of mammoth pea that won't clog the drip system, you know, that won't, you know, you don't have to worry if you clean out your filter. Like that works great, right? Like it, it really does. It works great. And outside it works incredible. Man, some of the most cost effective growing techniques, you know, the synthetics, it costs money, man. 100% cost money. That's right. You know, I, I appreciate you saying that. What made me think of is, you know, there's a couple things with, with the organic and living soil. There's a process and over time that you have to kind of just embrace. You're not going to come right in and start off and have a super thriving living soil. It's a, it's a time function and there's a little bit of a learning curve once you dial it in it's golden but it does take you know a while i think and you have to understand the biology and the and the elements that you're putting in there and the release of those elements and the time of the release to understand how to really balance everything out there's a hemp farmer in colorado and you know he grows the soil and he's amended it over time but mostly he just grows in soil and all he has is the mammoth pea like you said because he knows the nutrients are there he just needs a little bit of a microbial catalyst to release them because they'll bind up into the soil mineral mm-hmm. uh, exchange pretty easily and so making sure you understand how to add the life or when you need the life for the biology is is one of the key cruxes uh, to maximizing your success in these organic systems i think that's true 
you know, the thing about organic farming outside anyway, and inside it's a little different beast. You can do it all kinds of ways, but you're, you're building soil. You come into your soil, you put some inputs, you're either green manuring, you know, or you're adding, you know, gypsum or featherbone meal or, you know, whatever your organic input in it. As the years go by, your soil gets better. You monitor your soil, you do soil tests, you, you add what your chemist tells you to add, you add what your soil advisor tells you to add, and the soil just gets bigger. So there's this one-time input costs that might be high at the beginning. And, you know, we help people in Colorado do this all the time. You know, I, I'll say it's common for people to spend five to $10,000 on an acre to amend their soil organically in Colorado. You know, yeah. And interestingly here down in Oklahoma City or Oklahoma, what we've done down here, they've been like $2,000 and $1,500 an acre, you know, to, and it's just because the soil is different, you know, but once you do that, then you can just maintain what you have, add biology, add additional nitrogen inputs, add additional calcium inputs. And it's just so cost effective and simple and easy, but you don't have to go back to the grow store. You don't have to come to me to buy some more general hydroponic, right? <laughs> Which this is my business. You know, I sell grow more, I sell general hydroponics and I talk to everybody about it. I'm not trying to talk myself out of business, but, uh, it is important for us to think about the sustainability aspect and, and, and what we're really doing out here in the world. Yeah, I heard an organic owner tell me it wasn't that long ago. He's like, Colin, I don't, I don't grow plants. And he grew plants. Don't get me wrong. But he said, I grow soil. Yeah. I let my soil grow plants. And so focusing on that soil and soil health and, and the aspects that make a healthy soil is the foundation again not only of farming but of all life you know there's no there's no soil no plant in nature that doesn't interact with a living soil interface it just doesn't it couldn't survive if it didn't mm -hmm. and and yeah, so agriculture has gotten away from that because a lot of the synthetics actually limit uh, the biotic interactions and so coming back to that makes a lot of sense man absolutely you you, you said it the best colin you just said it the best so, hey, hey, man, do you do you have any predictions of the future? Like, what does the future hold for organic living soil and cannabis? What do you see happening in the next few years? Well, I'll tell you, in cannabis or in, or in general agriculture, this movement is going to continue to grow. It, and it just has to. And I'll yeah, tell man. you why. The, the biology and using biology in agriculture in general is the largest quickest growing agriculture segment across all crops and the reason is because chemical fertilizer has failed agriculture and i heard that said from some really interesting people in the agriculture space first and i'm kind of quoting that and the reason is let me explain fertilizers work you know they work mpk works you add mpk into the soil into your soil substrate and you have plants plants respond and they'll grow but at some point, you can't keep on adding fertilizer and get more growth. Yeah, you right. get an adverse effect. And in, in agriculture, what happens, and we've talked about this, as you add, these nutrients bind up. And so what farmers have been trained to do is add more and add more uh, add, add more. more. And more. what's happened now, yeah. Well, you know what? They're not growing more. We're growing less. Mm -hmm. And there's more buildup in the soils and up to 70%, 50% to 70% of the chemical fertilizers used in agriculture aren't being delivered 
to the plants and the plants aren't taking them up. Yeah, they're true. being bound in soil or they, they're being lost in the water columns. Yeah. And that's a serious challenge. But and the counter to that is biology. And even the large agriculture companies, they're starting to buy up a bunch of a bunch of biology of biological company arms. Uh, Monsanto bought one up a couple of years ago for hundreds of millions of dollars. They're all looking at them because these are all chemical companies that know that their technology has failed agriculture and they're having to turn to biology to bridge the gap to keep on growing food to feed the world. Oh, so this is the movement. It's the movement and we've seen it in, in cannabis. When I was starting to sell mammoth in Colorado, no one really understood microbes. There was a couple products on the shelf. There's mycorrhizae on the shelf. And now everyone's talking about the microbes. And this has happened in a five-year period. So it's an incredible, and it's an incredible time to be a microbiologist. And it's an incredible time to be understanding microbiology for, for agriculture. So I just see it continuing to grow incredibly. And, and you know, I said in Canada, I met this one group, awesome group organic cannabis growers and they and they they're growing big up there a million square foot that they're trying to convert they're building building out specifically for a living soil cannabis cultivation it is incredible well colin i'll say that uh we don't grow tomatoes anymore uh, we don't talk we don't say tomatoes anymore we say cannabis <laughs> Man, it's been it's been great chatting with you today. I'm 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 glad you uh, were able to give me some time in between your flights and you traveling all over the world to study and talk about biology and microbiology in our soil. I hope uh, this has been as educating to my listeners as it has been to me. And you know, it's it's also really been inspiring, man. I'm I'm really gonna pick up my organic game, my living soil game. Yeah, man, just turn more people on. You're doing a good thing for the world, man. Coming back at you. I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for joining me. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with me and Colin. Um, we got a little off topic there, but, uh, well, you know, I don't really know Colin that well, but after this episode, I feel like I do. If you're interested in living soils and organics, there's tons of YouTube, there's tons of Instagram out there, but you know, the best thing you can do is open up your heart, open up your lungs, build some good organic soil. We recommend using Grower's uh, High Porosity Soil Blend as your base. And, uh, you know, smoke it for yourself, man. Grow up for yourself and be uh, realistic about what you got going on. And just because uh, you put a bunch of effort into it doesn't mean it's the best. But you know what? If you slow down and you watch what's going on, eventually it will be the best. So stay tuned for other episodes. If you like this episode and others, please download it at uh, The Real Dirt Podcast on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, wherever else uh, podcasts are sold. Uh, and hey, like I say, stop by the shop. Say hi. I'm down in Oklahoma City these days. Sometimes I'm in Denver. Uh, but we'd love to see you at uh, Cultivate Colorado or Cultivate Garden Supply in OKC.